Whether it's a girls' night out or a night in with sprinkles, the refreshing taste of Kim Crawford makes any moment amazing. Available in Sauvignon Blanc and Rosé. Buy Kim Crawford at orderkimcrawford.com. Make it amazing. Please enjoy our wines responsibly. 2022 Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California, USA. Right now. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. And if you are new, hit that subscribe button, ring the bell, because we are literally here seven days a week for your listening entertainment. And uh, the store is open. Go to spacedoutradio.com. You can grab your swag right there and make it happen. And uh, let's see here. What else are we doing here? Well, I'm going to take a sip of water because I'm kind of thirsty. There we go. There we go. Craig Campabasso, once again, our guest tonight on the show. And don't forget, mark on your calendars because it's going to come quick. May 19th to 21st at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, Nevada, where we are going to have the second annual fan party. SOR fan party. We're gonna we're gonna tell Craig Campabasso he's gotta come this way since he ditched us in Denver for the MUFON symposium. So he's gonna have to come to Vegas and hang out with us. And why not? There's a double celebration happening that weekend. Not only is it a fan party where we all get together and show each other love on the topics of woo, but it will be celebrating my fiftieth birthday as well. Kira, I know, is cringing at this, but she will show up as well and sign autographs after the show. Here we go, everyone. Horns up. Let's rock. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SSOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on TalkStream Live, Revolution Radio. Why did I say Revolution Radio? We haven't been there for a while. They're bad. Odyssey Radio and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We're going to get all into the woo with our good friend Craig Campobasso. He's got a brand new book out. And I'm telling you, UFO Hotspots Compendium, and there's extra titles on that, but I like the main title. That's just what we'll get into. Craig can explain it here momentarily. I'm telling you, he may be freshly shaven, but this man wears a poor boy hat like no one else. No one else, and I love it. And uh, so excited to have Craig back on. And also, coming up in hour number three, the Swamp Dweller is back for another spooky story. We got Super Duke coming in with the cryptid report. It's Dave 101 night, and Shirky Poo has the news. All right, let's get right to it, shall we? Let's do this. 
Multiple award-winning filmmaker and Emmy-nominated casting director Craig Campobasso was 15 when he started in the entertainment business. His young acting career was off to a great start. He landed his first national commercial for McDonald's Chicken Sandwich and spokesperson and spoke his first line of dialogue on uh, to Tuesday Weld in a M.O.W. movie of the week, I believe that might be. Craig directed, wrote, and produced the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, which was adapted from the popular UFO book offered by the late Dr. Frank E. Stranges about Valiant Thor. He's got a brand new book out called The UFO Hotspot Compendium, All the Places to Visit Before You Die or Are Abducted. I mean, hey, or are abducted. I mean, he's making it sound like we all got some aliens. All got some, and maybe we do. It's coming out in a couple of days. This could be a good one for your library, and we're going to have a lot of fun with Craig tonight because he is just an absolute blast. Craig, you got some aliens or what? Let's just be honest. You got aliens? I got aliens. I got lots of aliens for you. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I love uh, the subtitle of the book. I didn't come up with that. The publisher did, and I thought it was great. I mean, it just, everybody gets a chuckle out of that. Oh, I think it's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. It, it's uh, it, it tells the truth before you die or you get some aliens. Or I mean, you're, yeah. maybe you're abducted. Exactly. You, know, you just don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, originally the book was called UFO Bucket List. Like the, yeah. the entire time I was writing it, that's what the publisher sort of called it. And then, and then we all sort of were like vetoing that. No, no, that's not good. That's not good. So, anyway, we we came up with a UFO hotspot compendium because really the book's about hotspots. Beautiful, right? You know, yeah. any, anytime you get to come on the show, it's always a big thrill for me. I, uh, you're one of the great people in this game, and you know this this game of has become very political. It's become very. Uh, choosy on picking sides but people like yourself have really been able to stay out of that just concentrating on what you're doing and what you're working on without bias without political affiliation without trying to get into it craig how have you been able to keep your focus considering all the the rashness of the ufo world the last couple of years well i i I think I sort of learned all of that um, just by being in the film business my entire life because film sets and film, uh, being a department head like myself, a casting director, it's extremely stressful. And after several years of doing it, I I said, you know, this is like crazy. What what do you what are we what am I making myself crazy for? Everything's going to get done anyway, so you might as well relax and just take it a day at a time. And so producers and directors started noticing that, and they're like, how do you stay so calm? How do you stay so calm? So in the UFO world, exactly what you said is um, how I've always felt is uh, we're just delivering information that um, the public may or may not want to hear, but I'm not going to be biased about it. I'm going to let everybody else make up their mind and tell you exactly where the information came from. Like in the uh, ET species almanac, 
right? Most of the stories actually came from real contactee cases that I was able to get the information uh, through the publishers or the actual contactees as well. And in the UFO Hotspot Compendium, uh, don't you love the little uh, great little car that the alien's driving? We call her Snake Girl because she was on the original cover of the E.T. Almanac. But uh, they had a move on uh, when we decided to write the book. We we had him send out to all the MUFON state directors to nominate their favorite UFO hotspots. So I got them all in, compiled them, uh, had a few of my own, and that's how we compiled 35 places uh, to visit. And, uh, and really what, what I do in the book is I give you a long version of the story of that place and what's the most updated information. And then the investigations, uh, if some are current, uh, what were MUFON's findings, what were Project Blue Book's findings, uh, what were different things. Um, like uh, Giant Rock, I worked with a historian, uh, the Integratron, I had access to their archives as well, as well as, Dave, get this, one of the original people who was with George when he began channeling underneath Giant Rock in the oh 50s, my. and she's still alive today, so... So I was able to, and I've been really good friends with her for over 20 years, so I've heard all these stories. But anyway, I incorporated a lot of her early stories because uh, she was very, her and her husband were very close to Van Tassel. So that's pretty cool, right? Very cool. You, you know what else is cool is we have a little bit of a tie to you here at Space Town yeah. Radio because our Keith Andrews comes in the first Friday of every month to talk about the woo and the weird, the strange of, of UFOs. And, you know, we get a lot of people supporting him. We get a lot of critics saying, is this guy nuts? But you actually got to work with him hand in hand here. I don't know if we can officially talk about the project yet or not, but we can, we can. Yes, we can. Oh, beautiful. Do you, so you want me to do it or you, you want to You go it? right ahead. You, It's your. Uh, All right. Well, thanks to you, <laughs> uh, we're uh, our dear close friend, uh, mine and yours, Lori Wagner, who is Love one of Lori. the producers. We're making the uh, ET Species Almanac into uh, a documentary, along with documentarians Tanya Maidenford and uh, Frank Jacob. Right? They they uh, were with me on Stranger at the Pentagon as well. So, uh, anyway, we have, uh, we've been putting it together. We're a little over halfway through. It's such a long, tedious process. But anyway, we're able to have uh, Keith Andrews be a part of the documentary, talking about some of the extraterrestrial species that uh, he knows about, that he's aware about as well. And others that we have in there are uh, real-life contactees that are face-to-face -face 
with extraterrestrials, which is super cool. Um, I even, uh, we're doing something different than a lot of other uh, documentaries. So uh, we're interviewing really obscure, interesting people that have affiliations with positive and negative extraterrestrials and neutral as well. So that's awesome. That is awesome. You know, and Lori is in our chat room tonight, by the way. On ah, good. Hi, Lori. So we have to give a shout out to her. <laughs> Lori Wagner, she is one of these behind the scenes people who just has one of the most giant hearts. And uh, she is just all about getting the information out there. And she'll never come on an interview. You'll never see her publicly outside of our chat room tonight if you're watching on YouTube. But Lori, uh, here's a big kiss for you. Mwah! We love Mwah! you. And you. And. I dedicated the book to Lori. Good. Good. She deserves that. Yeah. She does. She is one of the good ones out there. And I know she's blushing while drinking her glass of wine right now. But nonetheless, (laughs) we we love you, Lori. And uh, she says Craig is an excellent director. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Thank you, Lori. So I can't wait for that. And I I really hope that you and Keith were really able to to blend a lot of what you knew going in, because you guys didn't know Mm -hmm. a thing about each other. Uh, But I hope you were able to blend a lot of what you had found out compared to what he had learned through his own life and experiences. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's so much. Ever since I wrote the uh, E.T. Almanac, I have been contacted by so many people all over the world who are having experiences with extraterrestrials, uh, some of which I've never even heard of, or they would explain to me what they look like and things of that nature. I mean, it is, it is so um, widespread, and there's many people who um, are having such incredible positive experiences where they're actually having a spiritual elevation during and after a lot of these things. And, and the other thing that was kind of going through my mind today is some of, some of the people who have been abducted, even though it was a frightening experience, that years later when it may have surfaced and they went and did some regressions and they found out about what happened, is that all of a sudden they had a new special gift. It could be that they were now extremely psychically aware. It could be that they are now proficient in one area. And this always made me, it started to make me think, I wonder if at a certain point, um, and by the way, these were just abductions of examinations that I'm talking about, not raping of genetic materials, is that it made me think that maybe this was an exchange that was happening and that uh, maybe those ETs actually had a conversation with that person's soul and spoke to their higher self and and they agreed to it in exchange for a gift, right? Yes. So I just found, yeah, I just found uh, 
you know, that interesting because I've been researching so many cases lately and it, it seems that that seems to be the pattern. Are you an abductee yourself, Craig? I'm not an abductee. I'm an experiencer. Um, I experience, um, being on craft. I experience, um, uh, when I was 26, I had a spiritual awakening, uh, by three master teachers. And that's how my journey began into this road and, uh, really going on to a really deep spiritual path and trying to bring a lot of this information from the universe here to earth so people could figure out what it is out there. Like we have Star Trek and Star Trek goes out there. The book, the book series that I wrote, the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga is about them in conjunction with working and raising earth so that earth will rise up out of duality and rejoin universal society again. So it kind of goes, it's kind of the opposite of Star Trek, if, if you will. Well, the reason why I ask is, you know, I'm an abductee. We have a number of abductees who listen to this show and all of our stories are different yet somehow the same, you know, we only, yes. we only remember snippets. We only remember, uh, fractions of seconds that affect us in going to bed or wondering what's lurking around the corner out of all the abductees and contactees you have talked to over the years and specifically, you know, your last book about the species and now getting into UFO hotspots. What have you learned about this subject in regards to people? Well, the majority of people who are having benevolent uh, experiences or their experiencers, they do go up on craft. They do see beings as well. They call it abductions. I call it being an experiencer. I think an abduction, I put it in the category, is it's against your will. And they're taking you against your will and doing to things to you against your will. Um, so, but what I've learned is, is that really it's about a consciousness raising program. And this program is for us to rise up and out of duality and ascend into, of course, the next dimension into our next experience as well. Now, then you have then you have the more uh, malevolent races who are trying to stop that, and I have talked to many people who are having benevolent experiences about them having horrific nightmares and dreams about reptilians trying to knock them off their game, um, even going into a whole family's consciousness. This one family, they're extremely highly vibratory spiritual unit, um, and they have two kids, and the kids are highly vibratory, and they all have are having the exact same things at night and so anyway, I was able to talk to them and, of course, uh, speak to the kids and tell them, you know, look, this is just 
This is just the polarization trying to knock you off your path. Even if you stumbled for a year or two, they would be happy, right? So we don't want that to happen because people, when they start going into fear base, they stop progressing and they stop growing as as a human being. Yeah, yeah. Very true. And we have heard so many stories on this show from abductees who, you know, can't keep a job, you know, because the abductions are happening so frequent that they can't sleep. They don't sleep at night. They're paranoid to sleep. And the only time they Mm -hmm. do get sleep is right after they wake up after being gone. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that I really believe Craig that abductees and experiencers for the most part are having good encounters, even though they're taking us against our will. And I think that the, that the real nasty encounters are at the minimum. I mean, we can't sit here and say everything is bad, even though it sounds bad because we're not used to it. We just don't know, but there's a lot of interesting encounters people are having like getting sucked up into an orb and you know, they get inside this orb and it's the size of a football stadium. How does that work? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's just way too much. There is. Yeah. It's interesting. They have, uh, you can be in a very small container and when you're in that container, it's infinite. They have this ability for this contraction and expansion. Uh, I find that fascinating as well. So, but I will tell you, I have over the years spoken to many actors, people in the business. Uh, I usually start off with is if some positive extraterrestrials asked you, uh, would you go on a ride on their ship? I would say most of the people said yes. Um, a small percentage said no. I'm loving this CheapCaribbean.com vacation. Let's take a walk on the sand. Yes, and I'm craving some jerk chicken. Yeah, and I want to go snorkeling. Yes, and did you see those pina coladas? I need one. Yes, and I want a mojito. Two are better than one. Yes, and there's a spot at the swim-up bar with my name on it. I get more food, more drinks, and more fun for less money. Get a next-level, all-inclusive beach vacation at Breathless Resorts and Spas by AMR Collection. Book today at CheapCaribbean.com. Ibotta makes it easier than ever for you to earn money while you spend money. With Ibotta, you get real cash back, not points, on your everyday purchases. Whether you're shopping for groceries, clothing, or electronics, Ibotta has cash back for you. Download the free app today and use referral code IHEART to get $5 for trying Ibotta. Ibotta, cash back made easy. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store. Because of they they were terrified, but then I heard other encounters. Uh, there was one uh, person that I worked with in the business, and he confided in me that uh, he would wake up at night and literally there is a gray over him with its eyes this close to his eyes, mm. and he flips out right and that so he developed a pattern which was he would make sure that he had plans every single night so that he wouldn't get home until at least one or two 
because then he would be so dog tired, he would go to sleep and wouldn't wake up and not have to deal with it. Right? Mm, makes so, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And another, uh, another one um, was uh, another person that I worked with who, uh, when her child was small, about eight years old, that um, she saw white lights. Uh, they have a, a big front yard um, out, out in the kind of country by the ocean. And she saw these, this light come in and she ran into her daughter's room and there was a gray coming in and the gray had her and was pulling her out the window and she grabbed her daughter and she pulled and pulled and they fought and she said, you are not taking my daughter. You are not going to do this. And they, they relinquish. Now, usually they will come back, right? Yeah. At a certain point, but she forbid them and she actually did a lot of spiritual work and that kind of thing about putting up protection and things like that around her daughter as well. And that they never did return. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's a species right there that respected the mother's wishes. That's true. That's true. That's I mean, true. So you could look at that as a negative but also as a positive as well. Right. I can only imagine what that must have been like, uh, like walking in there and seeing that. And uh, the interesting thing was, is the neighbor uh, came over the next morning and said, we saw this, uh, this saucer land on your uh, front lawn. We saw it. Yeah. So that's good confirmation right there. Right there. Craig, I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we are going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour on Spaced Out Radio. And when we return to the Mighty SOR with Craig Campobasso tonight, we are going to learn more about his brand new book, The UFO Hotspot Compendium. Oh, it's a great, great book. Anything done by Craig is just so masterfully done. It's great to add to your library. Check out his documentary or documentaries online as well. Space Out Radio continues right after this. All right, we're clear. I'll tell you a little okay. bit of I'll tell you a little bit of a creepy story. Oh, tell me. When my son was six months old, he was taken with my partner. And oh, wow. And she recalls him crying on this. She said it was just like a a a nursery where they put him on this. Uh, they had they put him on this uh, little table and he was crying and kicking and they they took off his his uh, jumper. They took off his diaper and they were measuring him. They did nothing to hurt him. And then it happened again when he was 18 months old. Same thing. My, uh, my partner went with him and she asked what they were doing to him because he was crying and cold and shivering from the from the uh, being on the metal table. And they said, don't worry, this will be the last time this happens to him. And he hasn't been taken. Wow. Since. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. I think sometimes they're. Uh, I really think when you are a starseed that 
the where you come from, they come and they watch av after your family line and they check on you. And uh, um, I think they also, if, if something is wrong, that they can help heal you and do things of that nature. I've had that happen to me. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, my little guy, he, I've watched him see things paranormally happen. Yeah. He, oh, when he was about four, four or five, he scared the hell out of me. Like, literally. I have this island coming off of, uh, at the end of my kitchen. And we, it was right before I was putting him to bed and, and he was eating, uh, it was a weekend and he was, eating uh cereal and he's sitting at the at the full end and i'm i'm to his right and we watch these from from my living room into my kitchen and then out my window these giant i, I call them captain's bars you know like the military captain you have mm -hmm. the two bars but they were about a foot long each okay and they moved right through my dining room into my kitchen and then went right out the window. And I'm watching as I'm looking at this, I got my son who's now put his spoon down and he's looking right at it. And I said, did you see that? And he goes, yeah. He goes, what was that daddy? And I'm like, I have no idea. And then he went back to eating his cereal, like a four or five year old right. would. Yeah. Two minutes later, Craig, God is my witness. He puts his spoon down and he starts crying, like temper tantrum crying. Totally out of out of uh control. And I look mm -hmm. at him like, buddy, what what's the matter? He turns, he looks at me, and he goes, You're gonna die soon, and I don't want you to die. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I will tell you that my entire body froze when he said that. And, wow. I, and I was like, it freaked me out. It freaked wow. me out. So for the next three weeks, man, I literally covered myself in, in uh, styrofoam and and, uh, you know, those air bubble uh, wrapping, you know, yeah. we all like, yeah. oh, yeah, man, I wasn't taking any chances, no chances whatsoever for the next few weeks. Oh, my God. Yeah. My boy has seen some other stuff, too. Like, <clears throat> uh, I've, I've, we've caught him staring at a door and watching shadow people walk by and, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, it's. Uh, oh, yeah. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. Lori and I were once uh, in a room in um, uh, Sedona, yeah. right? And uh, at night, the light just goes, turns on, turns off. And then about a minute later, it turned itself back on, right? Mm -hmm. Lori, Lori was sleeping. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to the front desk in the morning and got some coffee. And I said, uh, 
I said, hey, by the way, uh, the lights are turning on in Ashi. And they said, oh, yeah, we, we have a few ghosts here. They do right do on. that. <laughs> I'm going to get you to hold on, Craig. we got 10 seconds. Thank you, Simon and Edna, for the super chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do. Thumbs up, thumbs down, people. Let's do it. Here we go. We passed the halfway point. Actually, we've passed the halfway point of first hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Good to have you each and every one of you with us tonight. I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on Tic Tac at Spaced Out Radio. Tic Tac, that is, not Tic Tac. Boy, I can't talk tonight. This <laughs> better improve before I hit the uh, before I hit the uh, uh, thought of the Dave or Dave 101 or whatever the hell we call it these days. But uh, Craig Campobasso is our guest tonight, author, researcher. He's got a brand new book out, and you're going to want to add this one and his previous books to your library. It's called The UFO Hotspot Compendium, and it says all the places to visit before you die or are abducted. Friggin' love this. Absolutely <laughs> love this. Craig, welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> okay, I got to ask you on one of the, on your book cover there's a UFO. It has a bumper sticker on it that reads I love what? Sedona. Oh, Sedona, Arizona. Okay. Sedona. I I actually they put something I heart something else and I said no, put Sedona on there. That's that's my favorite place. So they put Sedona on it. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. So uh, tell me about this book. I, you know, I think there are a lot of hot spots. Sedona being one of them, obviously. Yes. I, I think the Nevada desert is one. I believe that near Vancouver uh, and into what they call the lower mainland is another one. I, you know, I mean, I know the West Coast more than I know the East Coast when it comes to things. But tell us what a UFO hotspot is. So a hotspot is a place where uh, UFOs or UAPs have frequently been seen. Now, this could be in the past or it could now be in the present because it seems that a lot of times there could be several years, right? Like Gulf Breeze was a certain period of years. Um, I can't remember the exact amount. And then it seemed to have died down. And there's there's frequent, not frequent, but there's few sightings and things like that that still happen. But it, but we never know if it's going to kick up again or not, right? And then we have the hot hot spots where you're pretty much going to see something 
if you go there, especially if you have night vision binoculars. That is really an essential. So uh, East Eddy Ranch, for instance, is uh, what we call the Galactic Airport. And uh, I was there, I went with Lori and we went with another friend of ours, Jordan. And when, when you're there, you're literally looking out of, in the Skywatch area, you're looking out over a couple of miles of just open field. And then what sits at the end is beautiful Mount Adams. And what happens at night is there are these anomalous lights that sort of flash on the mountain. And a lot of people think that they could be hikers or things like that, but it's not from what they say is that it just happens sporadically and sometimes some lights are brighter. It's, it's uh, the same phenomena as the Marfa lights and the same phenomena that happens at Skinwalker Ranch on one of the, the giant plateaus that they have. They have anomalous lights that they have captured uh, repeatedly. So... So, for instance, um, so at Iseti, what happens is they have one pair of night vision binoculars. If you can bring your own or rent a pair and bring them, I would suggest that. Or if not, just bring a regular pair of binoculars. And when uh, they'll have a, a sky pointer, a laser pointer, and they'll look and they'll find it and they'll point to it. And then they'll mentally talk to it out loud and say, move to the left, move to the right. And you actually see it moving. So we know that it's, um, it has intelligence behind it. But the fun thing is for everybody in the Skywatch areas, when they say power up and then the ship goes really bright and it, it brights up like a big star and you see all these colors sort of flashing off of it as well. Now, sometimes you can see through night vision one or two going across the sky, and you know that it is because they are very high up. You can't see it with the naked eye like you can see planes, right? So the same in Sedona. Sedona is just, the, the all of Sedona is a hot spot, literally. Um, every time with night vision binoculars, I have seen one, two, or three crafts grouped together, just hauling across the sky, literally hauling. You can't believe how fast they're going. Um, so what's also cool about the book is you get the story, you get the updated story, um, you get what happened uh, through the investigations, what was the final outcome, what is the current outcome, and then I give you all the things to do when you're in that particular space or place. And for instance, if you're in Sedona and you want to go UFO hunting or you want to go take a tour of the Bradshaw Ranch, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, is that you can hire the person in the, in the book who is a, a, that's what they do for a living. Uh, they're a tourist. And they have, I think, five or six pair of night vision binoculars. So people who go out on these, each, every single person has their own pair. And uh, 
she looks for them in the sky and will point also with a laser you're and ta- everyone you're talking can Melinda also Leslie, see right? them. You're talking Melinda about Melinda Leslie. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. She'll be, so, she'll be on our show next week. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, so we've got Melinda's information in, in the book as well. And a lot in, in a lot of the other uh, hotspot places um, for people, if they really want to do those kind of things, I would really suggest if you do want to go to the Bradshaw ranch that you uh, that you call Melinda, you need somebody to, to literally take you out there because you need a four wheel drive to get to where it is. Oh, yeah. It's in the Verde Valley and it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's, it's kind of terrifying. I have a, terrifying. I have a friend of mine who goes by hoodoo tall. And yeah. he actually just did a documentary on the Bradshaw ranch where they literally found Sasquatch tracks and dinosaur yep. tracks. Like we're not yep. we're not talking like dinosaur tracks that have been sitting in the ground for millions of years that have, you know, that are just part of the ground. We're talking about what looks to be, you know, giant like fourteen inch, three three toed clawed, yes. like raptor type of prints. I mean, there, there's yes. some scary, weird stuff going on at Bradshaw. There is. And uh, although the ranch is um, dilapidated now and nobody is really on the property, um, when the Bradshaws live there, uh, Linda Bradshaw, Bob's uh, second wife, I believe, or third wife, um, she actually started experiencing phenomena. Bob himself saw a ship land in the middle of the day right there in the desert. Now, mind you, he bought 140,000 acres. That's what his property land was. So he's in the middle of the boonies, right? And so he builds the ranch and, and he's a cowboy and he starts doing rodeo shows and cookouts and he builds a saloon that's attached to his ranch house where people gather for music and drink and all kinds of fun stuff. Now, one of my longtime friends for 30 years, she actually worked at the Bradshaw Ranch. And she was the one who started telling me all of the stories before I heard it. From a UF, uh, from Tom Dongo, who's a UFO researcher there in Sedona. And so there, it just, she said, I always made sure I was in my car and all, back on the main road before it got dark. She said, I would never stay there when it was dark. She said, it was so scary. Um, I did go there with her once. And I will say, we because we didn't have a four wheel, we had to leave the car at a certain point. We had to hike in for about forty five minutes. And if you're sensitive like I am, you could feel the dimensions and things opening up. You could feel things looking at you. You could. All I wanted to do was leave. I. I that's how terrified I was. And then when I went back. And, uh, and I learned uh, a whole lot more about it is during those original investigations with Linda and Tom Dongo is that 
Um, Linda also had a 20-year-old son from a previous marriage. And so they would snap lots of photographs. And when they would film things with a video camera, what they got on film was actually in another dimension. And in one of the videos, there was a dinosaur. And um, they caught other just strange things. It's like the veil of the dimension is so thin there that if you, if you had a cell phone now and you held up your cell phone, you would actually see if something was coming through, you would see it on your cell phone. You could even hold up a regular piece of glass and see it right? And uh, just whatever is going on. Now, um, there was an albino female Sasquatch that Linda named Big Girl, and she was always hanging around uh, the horses at night, not to harm them, but to protect them. So Linda started getting loving this cheapcaribbean.com vacation let's take a walk on the sand yes and i'm craving some jerk chicken yeah and i want to go snorkeling yes and did you see those pina coladas i need one yes and i want a mojito two are better than one yes and there's a spot at the swim up bar with my name on it i get more food more drinks and more fun for less money get a next level all-inclusive beach vacation at breathless resorts and spas by amr collection book today at cheapcaribbean.com That post-vacation glow is priceless, but traveling isn't. So at Cheap Caribbean, we're doing something about it. We're offering you unforgettable and affordable all-inclusive vacation packages. Visit lush destinations in the Caribbean, Central America, and Mexico. No need to save up. Enjoy life right now with a pina colada in one hand and a margarita in the other. Book a vacation now at Hotel Ishkaret with CheapCaribbean.com. Cheap Caribbean. Less planning, more beach her vegetables and fruit on a plate and she would put it up on one of the posts uh, by the horses in the corrals. And in the morning, she would find sticks and stones on the plate with all the food eaten. And, um, and so this became this ritual. And uh, Tom had called her and said, be really careful one of your, because one of your mares is pregnant. Uh, Grays have been stealing the mare's fetuses on other farms, on other ranches. And so she truly believed that Big Girl was there to protect her her mare that was pregnant. And she did find white hairs. And another time when they were videotaping, they actually caught Big Girl walking, albino Sasquatch, with a flying saucer above her. No way. Right. And here's another thing that made me think today. So there's a phenomena that is attached to Bigfoot and people will see this light go like this in the distance in the forest. Right. And they don't know what this anomaly is. And we kind of know that uh, from what the, the lore is, is that they are paranormal beings. I'm wondering if, they're flashing in and out if that's what those lights mean. I don't know. Right? I don't know either, but that crossed my mind today uh, because I was watching the Bigfoot show before 
I came on your show, uh, Bigfoot Expedition, right? You know, uh, um, I always love it when they say, Ronnie and Maria are walking through the forest. And then they hear, they think they hear a Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, my. And it's one of my five. I love that show. Anyway, um, so that ranch had so much stuff going on. Now, another time, uh, Linda's son, now, one of the oldest houses in Sedona was this homestead that they built the ranch right next to. So it's a, if you ran really fast from one to the other, it would probably take you five seconds, right? So the uh, son is staying with his girlfriend in the homestead house uh, while his mom and uh, Bob, her husband, are in the big house. And it's the middle of the night. And he sees lights all of a sudden and he peeks out the window and he sees a bunch of little grays wandering around the property. And he is absolutely petrified. He wakes the others up. She had her little girl with her, wakes them up. They're, they're watching to see where they are. And the minute that they didn't see them anymore. They ran to the big house. They woke Linda up. She got up. She made some coffee. They sat in the living room. And the living room had windows, right? And uh, the drapes were open. And all of a sudden, the gray literally is right there in front of the window. So they had this kind of stuff going on. Their dogs would bark at night. And uh, she would go out there. And they would be surrounding something, looking up and barking. And she didn't know what they were barking at. And then she would hear hissing, like this really horrific hissing. And so she would gather the dogs up, bring them inside. And when she went out the next morning, what she found were reptilian footprints. That is scary. It's scary. And her son used to hike that property. He had a lot of missing time as well. Um, There's an alligator tree. I actually put a picture of the alligator tree in the the book. Um, It sits sort of between the homestead house and the ranch. And it's called the alligator tree because of its bark. And uh, because it looks like an alligator skin. And this is, uh, Linda said that this was a portal. And this portal um, that she said that negative and positive uh, uh, beings would come through. And sometimes she would see them and sometimes not. But she said when the negative ones came through, like one time they heard um, like a lot of noise out by the cars which are parked right in front of the ranch. And they went and looked out. They even took pictures of it. And um, it was like something was squeezing one of the trucks and it concaved on the side, right? And when they took pictures, there was this uh, white in one picture and blue 
and another picture that was surrounding the craft. So these negative things would keep happening once they knew that a negative entity came through the portal. And the other thing that uh, they say to be aware of, there's a windmill there and that people who go too near the windmill or if they go to tempt fate and sit near the windmill, that they will have missing time. Lots of people have had missing time there as well. So here's, here's the update that's not in the book that I just found out um, from our MUFON buddy, uh, Ron James, right? So Ron, uh, he put some cameras out there just to see what he could get. He put them you know, around the ranch uh, and he left them up for three months and he said, I went through every single one of those pictures. And he said, Craig, do you know that there was not one animal in any of the pictures? He said, I didn't capture anything, but he said what I did see in one thing was a pixelation that was moving in the background that went behind some trees and disappeared. Now, he had just bought a new truck and his truck was parked, of course, outside the gates because you can't go on the ranch, right? You can see it. It's pretty easy to see. And um, when he came back, there were all... Uh, now, everything in Sedona is red clay, red rock, red dirt. There was white markings on both the sides of his car door, like large swipes of white clay weird weird i mean uh, go figure i mean i don't even know what that means i don't think many of us do i don't think many of us do we don't we don't so anyway that's that's sort of like it's my favorite place it's a frightening place but it, you almost can't stay away because you, you want to know <laughs> what's really going on there and, uh, and what's happening. And, and even the animals know to stay away. That's what I found interesting, right? Well, there, there's so much out there in so many different types of hotspots where areas are are taking off. And it's funny because I was talking to a, a psychic lady who communicates with Sasquatch. Her name is Robin mm -hmm. McRae, and she is so talented. So, so talented. You would love her. And she was telling me the other day, because I have a Sasquatch gifting site out here in the forest, and all of a sudden we've started seeing UFOs around there. And she is saying that a lot of the cryptids now are kind of hiding more in the forest because there's a UFO increase in the skies around their territories. I mean, it sounds so far-fetched. It really does. But I can tell you, man, we went into our, we've gone back to our gifting site four Saturdays in a row at night. Right. We were there the first time we saw fairies going through the trees. Second mm -hmm. time we were there, the UFOs were there. Saw a couple of them, including a triangle. Third time we were there, we just had a, a barbecue. 
roasted some hot dogs on the open fire and, you know, kind of tried to make peace with the area. We were there last weekend, Craig. I tell you, the minute we hit that logging road, I was seeing pareidolia of of alien gray heads everywhere along that road, in the trees, mm-hmm. in the rocks, in the dirt. It was freaky. Yes. And the other two adults that were with me were feeling the exact same thing. Exact same thing. And we right. put it this way. We ne- we were there for 40 minutes, never stopped my vehicle, never let my boy out of the out of the car or out of the truck. And none of us ventured more than 20 feet away from the truck because the energy was absolutely freaky. Yeah, and freaky, no- and, and you just had to stay safe. You know you had to stay safe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, man. I, in the early 90s, um, I, I first went to Sedona for the Harmonic Convergence in 87. And I usually go back at least once a year, every single year. And I would take different friends with me each time and give them a tour and uh, the whole UFO thing. And uh, so I took one friend. We're staying at a hotel and we decided we're going to get up at 3 a.m. and we're going to drive out the secret canyon. And this is before they built the golf course and all that stuff. Hold that thought. We're going to go to break. We'll come back to secret canyon when we return with author Craig Campabasso on Spaced Out Radio. His brand new book, you're going to want to get it, UFO Hotspot Compendium, comes out in two days. All the places to visit before you die or are abducted. Hour two is next. Okay, good. Can I go pee real fast? Oh, yeah, I'm going too, man. I'll pee. All right, good. Dirty filth, it's all on you, man. It's all on you. Hold hold it up for us. (laughs) There we go. We'll pass over to dirty filth. Oh, that's cool. Oh, everybody's going for smoke break now. See if you just got yourself a... Oh, hey, Mark Sanchez. How's it going, buddy? Your artwork's still right in front of me, man. So every time I come in here, you give me that inspiration. I'm working on my second book and I decided that I should redo the characters for the little character page that I have in there. See what I did here is got a whole bunch of characters and junk. So this is the updated version because you can't reuse the old stuff. That's just... That's not my cup of tea, although I like tea. So the new character that I've put in, I'm adding to the book so far is Nightcrawler, because I've ended up drawing Nightcrawler a whole bunch. Because you got to have the dramatis personae at the start of the book. It lets everybody know who's in the book and everything, and 
And it nobody does that kind of stuff hardly anymore. And I always like that. They'd have all the list of the characters in the book and the little snippet about them. So I figured I might as well transfer that over to my cartoons if I'm gonna make the book. So that's what I that's what I'm doing this evening. I hope everybody's having a, a swell time. The Kentucky Goblin. His big bulging eyeballs and been drawing a little bit of the the goblin a lot lately as well. Just little sketches in my sketchbook. Or I had to I went to a work convention thing earlier this week and uh course, I had to draw a picture of the Mothman, and I left it on the table. So, that was actually pretty neat. There was a lady there, and she had a Falcon Lake shirt. And I was like, oh, hey, do you know that there was a UFO that, there was a UFO encounter at Falcon Lake? And she just kind of looks at me, and she goes, uh, yeah. Like, oh. So I took that as my cue to saunter away, and then I went back to the table I'm sitting at, and everyone's talking about stuff, and I go, oh, did you hear about the... Wilson documents coming out, and they're like, okay, dirty filth, what do we got? And so I had to tell them about that. And Actually, it's kind of funny because my, my boss is really, I got, I got him and my secretary lady all into this stuff. And they're like, I go to work and they go, well, I watched this documentary last night about Sasquatch. And have you ever heard of Missing 411? I'm like, a little bit. And then they tell me all the stories, and I heard them, and I'm just in my mind, I'm just grinning. Knowing that now they're down that rabbit hole and Kim's never going to go to sleep at a normal time anymore. Alrighty. Got that guy done. Oops. Forgot the rest of the tree line. See the Kentucky Goblin down there. Rest of the tree line. Yeah. Ooh, it's almost time to ink this stuff as well. That's my... That's my favorite part. Oh, hey, Craig. I'm just rambling away here. I know. I'm just watching you draw everything. It's so cool. Oh, I got I to gotta do up the man in black. And I got to do the nameplates. And then... Yeah. It's like magic. I need to get one of those speed TV things or whatever they are. Um, time lapse. That's what it is. There's oh, my technical jargon. It's just terrible. Yeah. Absolutely. The man in black's got that old fedora thing and he got the little card stuck in the top. Yeah. That's what I always think about. In in one cartoon I had the nightcrawler stealing a pair of pants because he's basically just legs. And then the man in black catches him, he's like, Okay, hey, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to return those trousers to where they're from. Mm-hmm. Hey Klaus, where's the uh, where's the Vegas thing? What, what hotel? Uh, I believe it's at the Golden Nugget. Golden Nugget, and that's yes. May nineteenth yeah. through the twenty first of next year. You gotta yes. come. You gotta come. 
Yeah, no, me and Lori are coming. I, I'm just texting with her. Oh, yeah. She was supposed to, Yeah, Lori was supposed to make it but last time, but something uh, popped up at the last minute. She couldn't make it. Yeah, well, we're we're both coming for sure. We're Good. just texting each other now. Good. So. Good, we need you there. I uh, want to say a big thank you to Science Bob, Simon Times 2, Jenny, Donnie, and Edna for the amazing Super Chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. And uh, we're going to continue on with hour number two. Do us a favor. Give us a thumbs up, thumbs down. If you're new, hit subscribe. Here we go. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Here we go with hour number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Kedge. Kedge is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with author and movie director Craig Campobasso is here, and he has a brand new book out, which is called UFO Hotspot Compendium. All the places to visit before you die or are abducted. Craig, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Good to have you here. I always say that last bit, just like you do. Uh, I love it. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. So much fun. We're talking hot spots here. What makes a yeah. hot spot? And we really focused on uh, Sedona, Arizona in the last half hour. But there are hot spots all over the world. And you uh, kind of bring a number of them together here in the UFO Hotspot Compendium. You know, what are people seeing in these hot spots? Give us some stories. Well, uh, the book primarily uh, focuses on uh, hotspots in America and Canada, uh, not, a, not around the world, because that would have been a much larger encyclopedia. <laughs> so they decided to, to keep it simple. But what's interesting is besides seeing multiple craft, uh, lot, a lot of time, paranormal activity is also uh, in a hotspot, uh, as in Sedona. Again, I uh, in '98 when I was on Bell Rock and had photos taken, a friend was snapping them. These gigantic orbs of light that were milk, milk white, with all these patterns going through it were literally almost as tall as I was. And one of them was actually bumped up against the whole side of my body. 
I, I can't remember which one they put in the book, if it was one of just a giant orb or the one against my body. And then another time I was driving down towards uh, Bell Rock to uh, go and do a little hike and a meditation. I'm loving this CheapCaribbean.com vacation. Let's take a walk on the sand. Yes, and I'm craving some jerk chicken. Yeah, and I want to go snorkeling. Yes, and did you see those pina coladas? I need one. Yes, and I want a mojito. Two are better than one. Yes, and there's a spot at the swim-up bar with my name on it. I get more food, more drinks, and more fun for less money. Get a next-level, all-inclusive beach vacation at Breathless Resorts and Spas by AMR Collection. Book today at CheapCaribbean.com. So many of us struggle with mental health issues, and it's important that we take time to prioritize ourselves. That's especially true in dating. Sometimes we just need a break, a full, I don't need any more notifications to pop up on my phone break. I've been there, and I leaned on Bumble's snooze mode to help me take that time to prioritize me. Snooze mode allowed me to pause all of my Bumble activity without losing any of my existing connections or chats. I could choose to hide my profile from potential matches for either 24 hours hours, 72 hours, a week, or indefinitely. I was even able to set an away status so my existing matches knew I'd be back to pick up where we left off. So I took a week off and came back in a much better headspace for me and my matches. If you're looking for a better way to date, download Bumble and don't forget to lean on snooze mode when you need it. And all of a sudden I saw this large metallic orb eye level with me going whoa like this and I grabbed my phone and I actually got it on film so I did put that in the book as well so people are seeing all kinds of things but then if we if we start to get into more of the other hotspots and stories um, like People are seeing extraterrestrials. Uh, people are seeing different things, uh, negative and positive. Just trying to find my little cliff notes. Um, and so, for instance, in well, where'd it go? Where did it go? Anyway, um, but some of the places, of course, uh, some of the, the hotspots uh, were, of course, where Betty and Barney Hill were, right? So if you want to take that little tour, you've got the coordinates and exactly where you can drive and go through there, things you can do in that town that are related to that. Also, something I didn't know is that Betty donated her dress that had chemicals and was torn. Uh, the bust of Junior, who is the leader um, that she had done and all of her other stuff to the local university. So you could actually go to the university and see these things in person as well, right? Um, there are, uh, we have the Pascagoula incident, of course where uh, everyone pretty much knows the Calvin Parker story. They actually, uh, several years ago, did a dedication right on the pier where it happened that overlooks the site. 
So uh, people can go there. And his story uh, really was with these uh, with these really strange looking robots. But there was uh, in one of the few things that I've ever heard of, it was an evil female alien. Oh wow! That did horrific things to him and that she was so hideous he still to this day all these years later is not able to even speak it or think of it because it traumatized him so much right and i work closely with the publisher in doing his section uh, and of course i i know calvin and have uh spoken with him several times but I dealt with uh, Philip Mantle in England, uh, his publisher, uh, about all of the incidents. And he said the same thing, you know, because I had asked Calvin and and he said, Craig, I can't talk about it. He said, it's just, you know, and the same thing I asked uh, Mr. Mantle and he said the exact same thing um, that happened. So, we, we do know that there are some of these negative experiences and evidently she had visited him uh, many times because I was able to reproduce part of Bud Hopkins' regression with him years later that this woman was visiting him throughout his younger life as well and so when he sees her for the first time under regression, he is just sick to his stomach uh, because of the horrific experiences that uh, he's had with her. So oh my. Uh, that regression is pretty interesting. I put the highlights of it into the book. I always find those, regret- especially anything Bud Hopkins did back in the day was amazing. Uh, he was just such a, incredible researcher and of course um, I think he was uh, Yvonne Smith's mentor as well and she has taken over the reins beautifully with everything that she does and um, so so people are seeing all kinds of things as well and uh, San Diego is a hot spot all of a sudden we we give you a a stretch of beach where most of uh, UAPs and things are seen as well, uh, where you can go and park your car and you can go uh, UFO sky watching. Uh, People have seen many of them. People have seen them going in and out of the water in San Diego, in Santa Monica and Malibu. Uh, I did have some friends that lived right in Malibu on the shore and they told me, that they would see craft going in and out of the water in the middle of the night all the time. Because I'm Canadian, I have to find yeah. out where did you find hot spots in Canada? All right. So the two main hot spots are the Shag Harbor incident. Yes. Right. And which is fascinating. I work with Chris Stiles, uh, who is a MUFON investigator. He and um, his partner, Doug uh, Legger, they actually reopened the case, right? And I'll give you guys a little thumbnail review of that. So it's, it's nighttime. 
something crashes into the water two to 300 feet offshore. There's a 18 year old gentleman named Lori. He's with his girlfriend. They think a plane has crashed. They call the mounted police. They come out. They, their main concern is for uh, survivors. So they immediately get a boat and they go out towards the boat. They get a rescue ship to come out as well. And, um, and as they're approaching it, these, they see these sort of orangey yellow lights bobbing on the surface of the water. Uh, they're not quite sure what it is. As they get closer, they sink into the depths. And when they get there, there's nothing there. There's no wreckage. There's nothing. All that is left is the smell of sulfur and uh, a yellow foam that is spread out over the whole area. And so I asked Chris, I said, Chris, what uh, did they get some of that foam to test it? And he said, Craig, they had nets, but every time they would reach you know, way down and scoop it up, it would just dissolve through the net. So no, they did not get anything uh, of that nature. So they went back in and started to um, reinvestigate the uh, incident. And they did that in 1993. And here's, this is what's really uh fascinating is the outcome of that. And I'm just going to kind of just give you a little uh, a little thumbnail of that. Oh, here, I think I have it here. Ah. All right. Sorry, guys. Getting there. All right. So what we what they found out that nobody else found out on that night is that the U.S. Navy, by the way, um, where where this was is very close to the U.S. Border, yeah, near Maine. Right? It's very much. Yeah, I believe exactly. near, the, near the base of Bangor. Yeah. So they said the U.S. Navy flew a high-altitude photo reconnaissance mission in the area. NORAD launched a 35-minute strategic air command over uh, operation over the crash site that was noted in APRO's preliminary report. Um, Barrington Baccaro and... Uh, and CFS Shelburne, the two nearest NORAD bases drew half of their staff from U.S. military personnel, right? And that there was talk of a second simultaneous search for a USO in the waters off Shelburne, Shelburne County's government point. And this alleged search is not noted in the Canadian archival record, but an unrelated RCMP X-file that refers to the Shelburne operation. So uh, basically what they also found out is that they found that these that craft 
had moved uh, several miles away and that the Navy put their ships over it because they weren't quite sure. And then at a certain point, they were going to go submerge and go down there and investigate it. But suddenly a second craft appeared and moved next to it. So they just observed the two craft for a week and then it seemed to assist its sister craft. And then all of a sudden they moved out towards Maine and they went up out of the water and back into the sky. Yeah. And the other part of that story, I don't know if you know, is there was allegedly Navy divers from the Canadian Royal right. Canadian Navy who That's went right. in to the water to investigate this craft. And yes. they allegedly said they saw two craft and beings working outside on the one craft. And mm-hmm. that story has never been confirmed, but it is right. highly believed that it did happen. Right. Yes. Yes. So so there is uh, the, the whole story from, uh, oh, look at that. That's cool. So our, for our radio <laughs> audience, our, our cartoonist Dirty Filth put his cartoon about the Shag Harbor incident with an alien wearing overalls saying to the Navy diver, hey, buddy, do you have a spare flux capacitor that I could borrow? <laughs> Fantastic, Dirty <laughs> Filth. Fantastic. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, <clears throat> so anyway, their, their whole updated investigation and everything into that case is there. And, of course, uh, the... Other one is Falcon Lake, right? And uh, where Stefan, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it. Mikulik, thank you. So uh, there was that one, but that seems because it was also close to the U.S. border that they they believe that that was an Avro uh, vehicle. Have you ever seen the Canadian? mint coins about Shag Harbor and of um, of the Stefan yes. Mikulik case? Yes, yes, I have. And as a matter of fact, I tell people where they can get it in the book. <laughs> you, know, you know what the funny... We actually... Victor Vigiani, a famed Canadian ufologist, actually contacted the mint about this. And this is what I didn't understand about the words from the mint. They said, we make coins regarding Canadian heritage. I never knew that Canadian heritage was a part, or ufology was a part of that. Never knew. And these coins now, they were originally selling for $125 Canadian, are now up on eBay for as much as two, three thousand $3,000. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. It's it's unbelievable how they took off. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I think the fir- mm-hmm. the the first one was the Stefan Mikulik one where right. where that coin was shaped like a alien head, an alien gray head or a guitar pick. And it glows in the dark and it sold out in 7 days when the Shag Harbor one came out. It sold out in a, in like two days. Wow! It's just crazy, crazy. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. Have you ever? Um, let me let me ask you this though. Have you ever looked into the UFOs of Vancouver? I'm just looking for that right now because I I'm not I can't remember. Um, because there was there was a huge craft over the Bonaventure uh, Hotel. And I, I, I think that might have been Toronto, that people who were up at night in the pool were, like, like floating. Montreal. Yeah. And uh, they saw that. And then, of course, uh, you know, you guys have the uh, UFO landing pad, which is a, a very cool thing as well. So, but no, tell me about that. Well, if you look into the Vancouver Lower Mainland area... Vancouver gets a lot of rods and orbs. Right. Especially over the Cascade Mountains. But if you head about half an hour down the highway east from about a a town called, or a city called Langley, right to where you start going into the Fraser Canyon uh, in a city name, a town named Hope, it's all black triangles. Wow. And here's the interesting part about it is, if you follow David Politis's Missing 411, the Cascade Mountain Range is number two to Yosemite National Park for people who disappear under weird circumstances. Wow. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal phenomenal how many people are seeing black triangles how many people are disappearing and vanishing in the forest i mean there's something to it and whether it's Uh, portals there is what do you believe do you believe it's portals we got about three minutes to go here craig uh it could be portals or are they actually being abducted by something and taken somewhere else we don't know I mean, one the uh, the Gulf, Be- uh, Gulf Breeze case. Uh, Ed Walters in his book said that uh, he could telepathically hear other humans on the craft that he was seeing who were screaming and crying out to be lit out that uh, they were locked up in some kind of cage. They were locked up. So, uh, and the interesting thing is, is Doctor Frank Strange has told me. He said, I was talking to uh, Valiant Thor one day, and I just want to tell you this. If you ever see craft that look like beehives and those in the Gulf Breeze look like beehives, he said, run. They are the most evilest beings in the universe. Really? Yeah. Wouldn't that be so, like the Pittsburgh, the Bell incident? Yeah. Yes. Kecksburg, uh, Kecksburg is great. Uh, I actually put that in the book and, uh, there's a lot of research to back that up to, uh, prove it. Lots of eyewitnesses, everything. I mean, my, my book agent was actually saying, Oh, that's a, that one's been proven false. That's a fake. And I said, Oh, I I didn't know that. And so I started digging into all of the research and there are so many, uh, uh, people who actually saw it and uh, saw the hieroglyphics and, you know, it was an acorn-shaped type of thing. Now, 
we don't we don't know if anything was in it it could have been a probe it could have been something of that nature but it was big enough to fit on the back of a truck unbelievable yeah unbelievable yeah. it is it is so strange a lot of these areas where people just vanish and go missing and always seems to be in these ufo hotspots and you know one day craig i hope we get to that mystery I hope so, too. It'd be really uh, fascinating to know really what's happening to them, or are they? Are they walking into some time portal and uh, moving somewhere else? We don't know. I mean, we really don't know. I wish we knew. I, I do, too. I wish we knew, my friend, because it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult question that one day we are going to have to come head-to-head with on... Mm-hmm. Uh, on uh, this story as we move forward. And I don't think a lot of people are ready for that. I don't think society is ready for that. And I don't even think most of us in ufology are ready for that. You know? So uh, when we come back from the break, Craig, you know, we're going to continue talking UFO hotspots. But I also want to get into, because I would be remiss not getting into a little bit of Valiant Thor with you on Spaced Out Radio. Craig Campobasso, he'll be here until the top of the hour. Go to Amazon, get all of his books. It's a great time on Spaced Out Radio. Craig Campobasso for the next half hour. We'll be right back. How you doing down there, Dirty? He's getting some good stuff in there. Oh, I had to, I had to unmute myself. I'm being safe here, Dave. <laughs> I'm gonna pee one more time. I'll be right back. These are characters for the dramatis pro persona. Oh, good gods, dramatis persona. In in my next book, Dave. Morning, Commonwealth Andrew. You having fun yet, Derny? Oh, yeah, I always have fun doing this. I love this stuff, Dave. This is the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Plus, other people get to see it as well. It's not just the cats. How is Blob today? Blob somewhere. I don't even, you know. I like I your moth man. Oh, thanks. He's actually a nice guy compared to real life Mothman. <laughs> I even drew a uh, uh, moth lady as well. <laughs> <laughs> they went on an ice cream date. Or no, it was pizza. <laughs> Nightcrawler and, and Mrs. Nightcrawler went on a, a nice. 
loving this CheapCaribbean.com vacation. Let's take a walk on the sand. Yes, and I'm craving some jerk chicken. Yeah, and I want to go snorkeling. Yes, and did you see those pina coladas? I need one. Yes, and I want a mojito. Two are better than one. Yes, and there's a spot at the swim-up bar with my name on it. I get more food, more drinks, and more fun for less money. Get a next-level, all-inclusive beach vacation at Breathless Resorts and Spas by AMR Collection. Book today at CheapCaribbean.com. That post-vacation glow is priceless, but traveling isn't. So at Cheap Caribbean, we're doing something about it. We're offering you unforgettable and affordable all-inclusive vacation packages. Visit lush destinations in the Caribbean, Central America, and Mexico. No need to save up. Enjoy life right now with a pina colada in one hand and a margarita in the other. Book a vacation now at Hotel Ishkaret with CheapCaribbean.com. Cheap Caribbean. Less planning, more beach. Cream date. And Mothman served them ice cream. That's the story. Because after he, after Mothman got busted stealing those trousers, and then man, the man in black yelled at him, he went to the cryptid clothier, got himself some nice britches to wear, and cleaned up real nice. And then, uh, I hope you're I her. hope you're making comic books out of all this stuff because this is just too. Awesome. That, that's, that's an actual stories. cartoon that I drew. It's it was a it's a couple panels. I unintentionally created a short comic there, so yeah, I'll put that in. That's going in the next one, but yeah, I talk to my pal every once in a while and get the creative juices flowing. Yep. Or basically just listen to the radio show and then some of the stuff that people say on there. I'll just turn into a drawing. Right. <laughs> But yeah, I just I love it. I love sitting here and drawing cartoons. It's great. Yeah, I wish I was an artist in in that respect. I can't draw. I draw really bad stick figures. Well, it's kind of weird because it's just something I've always been good at, and I get to sit here and do it now. And everybody has fun watching it. Apparently, they, yeah. we got some critics. I love it. I love the critics. It's always my favorite. But... Yes. Okay. Whoops. I need my my pink for the uh, for for the Kentucky Goblin's ear here because he's got real sensitive ears. He keeps them clean. He uses Bigfoot brand Q-tips or uh, <laughs> cotton swabs. Sorry, you're not allowed to. Anyway. Ooh, now that's my favorite part. We get to ink everything up now. Actually, gotta wait for it to dry here. I don't have hair, so I don't have access to a, a blow dryer. Otherwise, I just use a blow dryer. See? Well, I mean, the amount of chest, the amount of chest hair you have, you should have a blow dryer handy at all times. <laughs> no, you just have to let the conditioner naturally work itself for extra fluff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Filth's chest okay, airs. Okay, I'll be quiet, Dave. Filth's chest airs right out of the 1970s Studio 54. All he needs is a polyester shirt to go along with it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's uh, the sad part about it is it's so true. It's so true. Hi Thurston Howell the 3rd. How you doing, buddy? Good to have you here. 
Even Kira agrees. Look at this. Kira even agrees. She, she, she's like, for sure. Right there. <laughs> she's seen it in person. <laughs> I don't know what Jules is talking about. The colors from underneath. I don't know. I'm so confused. I, I got to put you on mute. Oh, filth. I think that's what it was. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah you just. Shh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> God, I love filth. Thank you, Aunt Edna, Sid, Simon Times 2, Donnie, Jenny, and Science Bob. Here we go with the next half hour, everyone. the halfway point of Space Down Radio tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. want to remind you that if you missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Space Down Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with Craig Campobasso. We have him until the top of the hour. And here we go as we are talking about Craig's book. It's a good one, brand new, coming out, the UFO Hotspot Compendium. And, and uh, I always miss the sticker. Let me try that again, Craig, because I bet you <laughs> I, I want to hear you say it, Dave. The UFO Hotspot <laughs> Compendium. All the places to visit before you die or are abducted. Love it. That's love it. it. Love it. Such a great title. You did it. Such a great title. I got it in there. My friend, oh. thank you so much for joining us. You know, we, we're talking about hotspots around North America. You know, does climate matter to these situations or time of year? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, it could happen anytime. If they happen and they're seen, they're just seen constantly because uh, weather, climate doesn't affect their vehicles. Okay. So yeah. is it more nighttime or daytime? Uh, here's, here's the interesting thing is all of my friends say, I want to see something. So here in Los Angeles, for instance, I say, you have to look up. And if you see a glint in the sky, get your camera out, go in and focus and see it, right? So I have one friend who saw triangles over Studio City for quite some time until she moved away. Then I have another friend who was in Hollywood who was just beside himself because what he got on camera was a donut-shaped metallic ship way up in the sky, took his iPhone, zoomed in, and got a perfect picture of it, right? Perfect. Not blurry, not anything like that. And then another friend of mine who's a director and a producer 
he started seeing ships in uh, the areas of like Simi Valley and out there where he lives. So you can pretty much be anywhere. And if you look up and, and see it, usually at night, the night vision binoculars are really going to help you a lot because you can see way, way up in the sky. And, and that's where you're going to see these things hauling across the sky as well. Now, if you uh, want to um, have some kind of intelligent conversation with them um, at Eseti Ranch, for instance, all of the, all of the craft there are said to be positive because they say that there is a base below Mount Adams. So ships are seen going in and out of the mountain all the time, right? So they, they can have interaction, but to just sporadically do it, you might not know what you're getting in contact with if you shoot a laser pointer at it, right? Uh, like, let's take the Allagash abductions that happened in Maine where the four guys were fishing, right? And uh, the first night they saw this giant glowing orb over the tree line. Second night, they go out fishing, and they see it again. And one of the guys says, hey, let me flash my flashlight at it and see what it does. Well, the minute it did, it shot its beam over to where they were, and all four of them were pulled up into this beam, up into the craft. And uh, they were all um, remembered through regression, except for three of them, not one of them. Um, remembered being naked and being um, examined by these creatures that look like ants. So they, which was just fascinating. It's one of my favorite stories. So, um, so I often wonder if they hadn't flashed their flashlight up, if that would have even happened to them as well. So, mm. yeah, yeah, I know. I love your face. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think if you, if you, if you have a very good spiritual backbone and you, and you're a uh, uh, sensitive, you can feel what, what it is. I can always feel what it is. If it's positive, negative, uh, or neutral, that kind of thing. And uh, if you want to uh, do those kind of things, it might be better to go out in a CE5 group where you go out in a group and, and uh, do it together so everyone is sort of like in the same sort of group mind and, and that uh, can call in uh, the benevolent ETs. Uh, who love interacting with everybody down here. They love interacting that way. Is there a difference in the hot spots, Craig, where you mentioned Seaside Ranch or you mentioned Sedona where it's positive, but are there other areas where it's negative? I'm thinking Skinwalker Ranch. I'm thinking other hot yeah. spots around the United States. Well, also places that might have military slash alien bases as well, 
Now, Sedona is said to have a couple of those. Uh, and I will, uh, I don't think, oh, I never finished the Secret Canyon story because this is a negative part because uh, they say that one of the bases is way in the back in Boynton Canyon. And um, I had heard stories of people who went out there to camp and saw greys wandering around uh, in the middle of the night. Now, uh, my friend and I, went, like I said before, we got up at 3 a.m., we got in the car, and we're driving. You know, when you go back into Boynton Canyon, there are no lights. It is pitch black, and all it is is trees and shrubs along the side of the road, and you're the only thing on the road. So it's kind of uh, disheartening thinking that anything could jump out at you at any moment <laughs> because... It is so dark, but as we got back to where Secret Canyon is sort of like this big basin, and it is known for lots of UFO activity, and once we got to the, uh, almost, I would say, within a quarter of a mile to where we would park and then go look over into the basin, is there was a blue beam that went across the car, and I slammed on the brakes, and I heard in my head, if you go any further, your lives will be altered forever. And I said, good enough for me? My friend, I, I said, what did you hear? She heard the same thing, and we turned the car around, went back to the hotel, and uh, stayed there. And, and I think when something like that happens, evidently, uh, they had placed that some kind of beam technology there that was programmed to say that because they didn't want people in that area, sort of like Area 51 as well. Right. So, yeah, so I would say yes. But um, what was the initial question again? And I can add some but Just about that. negativity on the hotspots. Yeah, Skinwalker Ranch, um, also Stardust Ranch. Uh, I'm sure you know about that, and a lot of the people uh, might have heard about those stories. But um, Skinwalker, which is great, is I've always been fascinated. I, I read George Knapp's book; I love it, and I uh, I followed it. And and you know, now that the uh, History Channel has a show for that's already three seasons in, and seeing them do all these testings. And then bringing back somebody like John Alexander, who was there in the original things with Bigelow, to get the perspective of back then, there's still secrets that are not revealed. We know that Bigelow hasn't revealed secrets, and Brandon Fugel, who now owns the ranch, we know that they know more than they're saying, but they can't say it, right? But what it seems to be is that my sense of it is, is it's something that the aliens don't want us to know or the military doesn't want us to know or the aliens and the military don't want us to know. And I think it's below the ground on Skinwalker Ranch, right? What about Area 51? Area 51, I, I've heard... Um, Lots of different stories from different people who have had experiences. I met with somebody who said that they actually went in and 
uh, saw things. I, of course, have uh, seen Bob Lazar in person speak and and heard all of his stories and all of those things. Um, so I, I believe that Area 51 is pretty much a reverse engineering factory for these types of things. It said that most of the bodies and things like that were moved to Wright-Patterson Air Base uh, and uh, possibly to some others as well. Um, back in the 40s and 50s, evidently there were a lot of crash saucers where they uh, collected alien bodies and some that were still alive. A lot of those stories are fascinating of the ones that were alive and uh, that kind of thing. It would be fascinating to see what those archives look like. It would be fascinating to see if they filmed the conversations with them. Um, it was so fascinating to talk to Clifford Stone, who was, uh, who interacted with a being, um, and uh, I forget what the interfacers, he was an interfacer, and that uh, it was because the being actually chose him as well, uh, knowing, because he's a, he's such a beautiful, uh, was a beautiful human soul, and uh, just to hear these firsthand accounts and these stories, and that, I mean, imagine if it was us going to one of their planets and we crashed and uh, they put us in their military if they had such a thing and grilled us and did all of those types of things. But, I mean, there's, there's different, uh, there's just different stories and uh, the stories get out of whack here and there. And so I always say just listen to everything and just soak it all in and just use whatever works for you, right? And just uh, if it doesn't work for you or if it doesn't seem real, just put it aside. Uh, I myself have met with um, some people up there as well. And uh, they told me, they said, Craig, if you can think of some, a story being the strangest story you ever heard, we're going to tell you that it's 10 times that, 10 times that, 10 times that. Don't you love that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, so. it hits you right in the curiosity, but on the flip right. side, it upsets you too, considering that here you are trying to stay on top of everything, but you can't because yeah. it's happening too fast. It is happening too fast, and then it'll... There, there will come a time when the planet shifts over and we sort of rejoin universal society again and we'll have access to records and history of not only the Earth but the rest of the universe. And um, I, would ju I, I just think it would be so fascinating to study different worlds and different species and things of that nature. You know, species that come here to study us that really aren't here to harm us or anything like that, um, that they, they take up residence. They do have, um, uh, like if it's our government, they, they will get permission. Uh, it's not like they're working with them like we heard all the stuff in the beginning with the grays and all of that. But 
they will also start a hybridization program using our DNA from donors that are usually most likely star seeds from their civilization that they have already made prearrangements with. And because when they study a race, they come here for hundreds of years to thousands of years, and to study us is to become us. And that's how they look at it. They look at it from a whole different perspective. They look at it from a unification perspective and not, uh, as we know, in some hybridization programs, like they're doing it for nefarious purposes or, or uh, to benefit their own race and things of that nature. So it's kind of fascinating to hear all these alternate uh, stories about these different races. Very true. One of the races I want to talk to you about that you are very well known for is Valiant Thor. Obviously, the story was brought yes. forward by Frankie Stranges, but you have been the man of the last decade to to really dig into this. And and I'm curious, is there anything new with this? Well, there's there's nothing new in the sense of information. Um, I think uh, what a lot of people don't know is that Valiant Thor is what we is a created being, which means he doesn't have a belly button. He's an immortal. He's what we would call, we would put him in a classification of the angelic realm. Now, angels or created beings are assigned to certain sectors of the universe to be a emissary of sorts for worlds like ours that are going through a transition, other worlds that might have squabbles amongst themselves or with other nations, and they're there to sort of be these superpower delegates, right? Because they can really help them to see things in a better light of what an outcome would be if they were not fighting and if they were to fight, what the outcome would most likely be, because they can see into that bits of future, although it's not fixed. So I think if people understood more about who he is and why he's here and that um, he he was. Dream Cloud is a luxury hybrid mattress made with premium materials at half the price. Every Dream Cloud comes with $399 in accessories, plus an additional $200 off a 365 night trial, a forever warranty, and free shipping. Go to dreamcloudsleep.com today. He was coming to Earth well before his arrival in 1957. And then when he started his official um, three years at the Pentagon, and then when he left, he returned exactly one year later, uh, and he did contact uh, Dr. Frank, as we all call him, and um, and they they remained friends, uh, and he would uh, meet with Dr. Frank every once in a while. And then in 1967, uh, Valiant Thor invited him on board his craft Victor One for the first time, which is, whoop, wait a minute, there we go, that ship right there. And 
excuse me. Um, and so he, that's when he first met the vice commanders and he was given a tour of the ship and then he began a friendship with them. And when he wrote the first draft of the book and he would travel around the world to do that, two of the vice commanders, Don and Thon, T-H-O-N-N, they would pretty much travel with him to protect him because he got a lot of uh, uh, death threats or things like that. Not a lot, I would say a handful, right? Uh, but they were there primarily to protect him. They stayed in the same hotel as him. And um, so they would they would go around uh, with him. Sometimes some of the, well, maybe one of the other vice commanders, there's another um, uh, man named Unaya, who is also a created being, who is uh, a Melchizedek, who is also a permanent fixture on board Victor One as well. So now there are in his complement, there are, they're these Victor class saucers, which are 300 feet in diameter, I think 97 feet from top to bottom. Uh, they're double deckered with the lower deck for all the earth vehicles that they have that they get around in. And they uh, each one holds 200 people. So uh, we have the uh, I have the blueprints. Dr. Frank gave them to me. One of the posters actually is the blueprints of Victor one. But there are these Victor class saucers are stationed in and around the earth in over 287 locations. And that uh, Valiant Thor designed and built a starship that's 14 miles long and seven miles wide. And that houses a lot of the uh, beings that might have different colored skins that we do here on earth, like violet, green, blue. Uh, some are rainbow washed. Um, uh, there's uh, some beings, Dr. Frank told me that he found very fascinating that had zebra skin, right? Their skin was zebra striped. And I always thought that was interesting. And I put that in the back of my mind. And then I was hearing, uh, uh, gosh, maybe six months ago, Linda Moulton Howe talking about a case. And this case, uh, the uh, person, she, the contactee she was talking to uh, was saying that these beings had zebra-striped skin. So I found that fascinating. So all of these beings are here for to see the shepherding in of Earth going into... Uh, the next realm where we will all become, can you imagine being fully conscious? I wonder how that's going to happen. That's going to be super. No cool. idea. Do you think right? with, with 90 seconds left, Craig, do you think yeah. Valiant Thor is still on earth? He is. Yes. He hasn't left and he will be here until uh, the earth is uh, renewed. Absolutely. What do you mean renewed? Renewed in the sense that we, we move to the next dimension. We, we ascend uh, as a consciousness and we move out of duality. So what that means is we start working 
our heart and our mind become one instead of our mind just working for the service to sell through the ego. We're now fully conscious beings like the re- most of the rest of the universe, like the fully conscious extraterrestrials who are here to help us, shepherd us into that as well. Greg, 35 seconds. Tell everybody where they can find your brand new book. All right. You can get it on my website. I'll be happy to personalize and autograph it. It's autobiography of unanet.com. The homepage has my book series on the front. And then if you click on other books, you can find the UFO Hotspot, ET Almanac, and other books there as well. Everything's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It'll be in Barnes and Noble stores. Uh, probably mid-October. It takes them a couple weeks to get it in. So Beautiful. My friend, it's always a pleasure to have you on Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much, Dave. We'll do it again soon. <laughs> promise you. Yes. Craig Campavasso, everyone. I'm sure you check him on out. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Then, Super Duke's here for the Cryptid Report. Then it's Dave 101 time. Spaced Out Radio's Hour 3. Jam back next. There we go, buddy. Great show. There we go. Thank you so much. All right, I my really friend. appreciate it. Anytime. I'll talk to you soon. And don't forget to don't forget to send me that Samantha's uh, info. I, I will. I will, brother. Okay. I'll probably send it to All you right. on Facebook. Okay. All right. Perfect. Okay. Right. See you later. Take care, bud. Bye-bye. Bye, Klaus. You'll uh, say bye sometime. Have, have a oh boy. Yeah. Good way to way to hop to the table there, Klaus. I'm enjoying this clue stuff. Okay. Oh boy, almost done here. There you go, clues. Where are you going? There he's going. He's leaving. He's gone. Oh look, it's Boss Monster. I'll be rolling dice next weekend, Boss Monster. All the nerds are coming over. Look at that. I just got to do a little bit of detail and she's all done. A little bit of dirty filth detail in there. Just so it looks good and proper. It's been an exciting evening. Hope everybody had a good time. Thanks, D-Oceans. That's right, Boss Monster. The nerds are coming over. Watson's going to be here. Ray. Tim with the upside down eye. Prude Lavinia. Oh boy. It's going to be a madhouse. Are they going to roll good numbers? Probably not. The entire party's basically a bunch of hobos. And most importantly, hockey season starts soon. Time to yell at my TV. Actually, no, I can't watch hockey anymore because I stopped watching hockey last year and my team started doing good. So I just stopped watching. I was like, you know what? If I don't watch hockey, my team will do good and that's the best I can do. Not like I buy anything from them or whatever, but 
Ooh, woo wishes. Yes, Jessica S. Mothman is awesome. I want to go to the Mothman statue and slap him right on his butt. I'm going to steal Mothman butt. He's got like the most toned cryptid butt out of all. Like, you know Sasquatch is walking up mountains and stuff all day, but you look at that statue. That's a good representation. Looks like Mothman's winning. He could be in his own calendar. I can hear whiskey. She's starving to death. Apparently. All right. That's enough. I outsmarted the cat. All is well. Just throw down a piece of paper. That'll keep her occupied for a bit. It's like how to keep dirty filth occupied. Throw some paper in front of him with a pen. Yeah, if you go to Vegas, just come find me and I'll give you a cartoon. They come in these neat little cards. Here, since since we're almost done here, I'm going to grab some. Look at that. We got a siren head guy there and a triangle. More triangles. Got some little weapons there. And then we got... Well, look, there's Kentucky Goblin with his hot date there with the, with the gnome. And you got Nessie and Phoenix Lights and me drawing cartoons. And then I have a whole bunch of other ones here. I've got like a billion of them. And then a Mothman. And then the Mongolian Deathworm. Everybody, how do you not love that name? The Mongolian Deathworm. And then Sasquatch hiding there. And Tic Tac flying around the oceans. And then, whoops. Then we have the 1940 special. See, Dave, look at all these cards that I got coming out here. And I got like a million of them. And I got another big stack. Nice. And some little random ghosties. You're going to be passing them around. Little ghosties. Like anything. Look at little ghosties, Dave. Those are beautiful. And a UFO. Holy. Those are beautiful. Reptilian. <laughs> a Mothman. It's just a complete... It's, it's just madness. And then we have the Aquatic Nightmare. Dave's worst nightmare in the world. Shark and Loch Ness Monster at the same time. Woohoo! All right, Clues, we got about 20 seconds. So I want to say a big okay, thank you to Cat Chaser, Science Bob, Simon Times 2, Jenny, Donnie, and Edna. And we're going to get going here. And for everybody who's given us a thumbs up so far, thank you so much. And if you haven't yet, that'd be great if you could help us out. It really helps us with the algorithms on YouTube. And here we go with hour number three, everyone.
you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Here we go with the third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Kedge. Kedge is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. All right, it is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. I grew up on a farm in the Midwest, hunting and fishing and working by myself since I was about six years old. Half of my family is military, the other half ranchers. Both tough to say the least, and we all average about six foot tall. But anyway, when I was a kid, I always was at my grandparents' house with my cousin, who was less than a year younger than me. Naturally, we would always be out in the woods surrounding the house. When we were eight years old, we decided to go hunt squirrels, and it was getting dark, so we made the trek back to the house. Nervous because we were young, and we could hear coyotes on the other side, we were jogging in the brush. We come out of the timber facing the house. We reach the driveway, which is probably 25 yards in front of the house or so. We counted our squirrels and unloaded our weapons. To the left, there is a big shrub that's about 10 foot by 10 foot but my cousin froze looking at it. And when he would not respond to me, I turned and looked as well. This thing was almost as tall as the shrub. It was dark and scared me to death. We ran inside. My two uncles, who had just returned from a military deployment a week before, were sitting inside. My younger uncle looked at me and said, You saw it, didn't you? And the first time I cussed in front of an adult was right then and there. I dropped the F-bomb three times or more, trying to ask what it was. It was bizarre how calm my uncles were. They went on to tell me that they would call this eight-foot-tall thing the tall man. It messed with them and their friends when they were young. They even had shot at it many times, to no effect. With research, their best guess is that it's a Native American demon. But it does not seem to harm people, just feeds from their fear. They mainly see it after hunting. This caught me off guard, because you would think any demon would be violent. Fast forward ten plus years, 
I had graduated high school and had joined the army as a combat engineer. I went home for about a week during the winter. The weather had cut off the Wi-Fi to my parents' house, so I called my grandfather and he said his Wi-Fi did work. He was also a Vietnam veteran. When I went over to work on the online training, because I was newly promoted, I was sitting in the living room in the evening cussing at my computer for seemingly being slow and for this pointless training. But for some reason, when I look up, there it is. And it was not fear that washed over me, but angry. I stand up and grab the shotgun at the door. And with a family like mine, door guns are definitely a thing. But I walk through the door, racked a shell, pulled up on a center mass about 20 yards away, and put three buckshot shells into it. Nothing. I was so filled with rage I took a step towards it like I was going to fight it, and then it vanished. Then my anger dissipated. What, what was even happening? What did make me smile is my grandpa walking out with a cup of coffee and a cigarette and laughing about how that thing would be crapping itself by now. Then I cracked a smile because I thought it was funny how a Vietnam vet does not care about a demon, but gets worked up if you park on the grass. Short but sweet, a beautiful story by Swamp Dweller tonight on The Tall Man, I'll tell you. Swamp Dweller, I don't know where he gets these stories. I know he gets hundreds of emails a day from people just like you who want to tell their story. You can listen for free to thousands of stories at Swamp Dweller Reads on YouTube. YouTube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads. And we'll get uh, to more Swamp Dweller very, very soon. All right. It is time once again to bring in our cryptid legend, our Sims. My goodness. Let's try that again. Our cryptid legend himself, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. We have Super Duke right till the bottom of the hour tonight because we do have the Dave 101 coming on over at the next half hour. Super Duke, how you doing, buddy? Oh, pretty good. Big Sky Howdy from the Bitterroot Valley here in Montana. And let's get ready to rumble! Right. <laughs> With the cryptids. With the cryptids, of course. Have to add that in there. Have to add that in there. I know you always got a great story for us. Where are we heading tonight? Well, tonight we're going to breeze through history of the wild man in North America again. Going back to uh, kind of a quick overview of some of the more obvious reports that have come down from the, the earliest ones that they've been able to find here in North America. They, they got most of them. There's one from the 1780s up in Lake of the Woods, and they did not mention the uh, Man Mountain Report from 1829 in Milledgeville, Georgia. But it all ends up with a very angry chief flying eagle in British Columbia telling off the white man. So let's get started. An old North American newspaper account appeared in the Exeter Watchmen of New York on September 22nd, 1818. The item told of a sighting of a, quote, wild man in the woods, unquote, near Ellisburg, New York, on August 30th, 1818. The hairy creature was said to bend forward when running, 
and left footprints showing a narrow heel with spreading toes. Such accounts were followed by reports of hairy child-sized creatures seen in Indiana and Pennsylvania in the 1830s. Then, beginning in 1834 in Arkansas, a giant, quote, wild man, unquote, was seen by many people in the Ozarks. Even the journal Scientific American for March 1846 mentioned this, quote, monstrous wild man, unquote, with 22-inch long footprints as being seen in the swamps near the Missouri-Arkansas state line. And, of course, this would jive with later reports of Momo, the Missouri monster. The Memphis Inquirer of May 9, 1851, reported on the Arkansas sightings of the previous March, noting that, quote, this singular creature has long been known traditionally in St. Francis, Green, and Poinsett counties, Arkansas. Sportsmen and hunters have described him so long as 17 years since, unquote. The wild man was said to be of gigantic stature, hairy and with shoulder-length hair on its head. Footprints found measured 14 inches long. From the Thumb of Michigan, Mark A. Hall chronicles in his 1999 book, Living Fossils, that hair-covered, formidable, man-like beings were seen in the 1860s near Lake St. Clair and Lake Huron. The group reportedly included adult males and females, as well as three or four small or young ones. One male had a bristly beard, while another had a bald head and a white beard. They had enormous stomachs, long arms, and were strongly muscled. Similar hairy hominids in the specific area of Michigan were reportedly sighted in 1910, 1969, 1981, and 1983, also according to Hall's research, and were chronicled by others into the 21st century. Furthermore, the aggressive encounters with the Sister Lakes and Monroe, Michigan monsters of 1864 and 65 closely mirror the earlier descriptions of these wild men. The various researchers from Mark A. Hall and myself, and in this case we're quoting from Lauren Coleman from his book Bigfoot, in 1970 through John Green in 1978 and Gary S. Copra and Dwight Smith in 2002 have found reports of wild men in the 19th century newspapers. Copra and Smith, for example, discovered old reports of a wild boy covered with hair, seen near East Davenport and Gilbert, Iowa, in 1869, of a giant hairy wild man seen in Lancaster, Berks, and Chester Counties, Pennsylvania, in 1874, and of a hairy wild man seen, seen near LaGrange, Indiana, beginning in 1895, and again two years later. The Winstead Wild Man was the rage of 1895 Connecticut. The reports began with a sighting on a, quote, sultry August day, Unquote. That year, say newspaper clippings from the time, a local town official, Selectman Riley Smith, was the first to spy the wild men. Others soon saw the creature too, but Smith's encounter was said to be the most credible. According to Frank Wentworth's 1929 book, The Winstead Wild Man and Other Tales, Smith went up to pick berries near the Colebrook Town line on Losaw Road in an area known then as Indian Meadow. Now, here it quotes, while Smith was stooped over picking berries, his bulldog Ned, which is noted for its pluck, ran with a whine to him and stationed itself between his legs. Accounts from the August 21st, 1895 Winstead Herald reported, a second afterwards, a large man, stark naked and covered with hair all over his body, ran out of a clump of bushes and, with fearful yells and cries, made for the woods at lightning speed, where he soon disappeared. Now, Selectman Smith is a powerful, wiry man and has a reputation for having lots of sand. And his bulldog is also noted for his pluck. 
but Riley admits that he was badly scared and his dog was fairly paralyzed with fear, unquote. Local posses of searchers and newspaper reporters from New York and Boston were never able to track down the Winstead wild man. Near the Traverse Spine River, Labrador came to us in 1913. Accounts of an ape-like creature said to stand upright and yet also go about on all fours. The Traverse Spine white mane primate reflects the piebald conditions common to the reports of these unknown primates in that part of the country. And others such as Old Yellowtop, the name given to a distinctively light-color maned hominids seen in 1903, 19, excuse me, 1903, 1926, and 1970 in Cobalt, Ontario. Also, this Traverse River creature was seen more as an ape than a wild man. So, now we go back to kind of a little bit closer to where Dave is and the Western traditions of these creatures of that are said to be man-like, hairy, and part of the real world, not the spirit one, were familiar to the first inhabitants of this land. In the West, the creatures were known by a variety of names, from Oma to Skookum. A few chroniclers and researchers have also liked the native-sounding nature of Sasquatch, the name that W. Burns, Indian agent teacher of the Chahalas Indian Reserve, coined from native British Colombian words, including Soquiatl and Susquets for the hairy giants. Wayne Settles, a Portland State University anthropologist who edited The Scientist Looks at the Sasquatch, Parts 1 and 2, with Grover Krantz, had this to say about the origins of the Sasquatch in the second volume of the series. It's an anglicization of the word Sasquatch, which occurs in the mainland dialects of the Halcomelon language. The language member of the Salish language family is spoken in the southwestern British Columbia and lower Fraser Valley, from Yale to the mouth of the Fraser and on the southeastern Vancouver Island from Nanus Bay to Malahat. Many contemporary authors have noted the widespread nature of native traditions of Bigfoot-like creatures in the Pacific Northwest. Indeed, in his review of the folklore of Bigfoot, the uh, father of cryptozoology, Ivan T. Sanderson, felt the term Oma used in the Klamath area among the Hoopa was preferable to Bigfoot. In addition to the Canadian Sasquatch, the Hoopa or Huppa called the large hairy beings in their legends Oma'a, which was later shortened to Oma or Oma by Bigfoot researchers like Sanderson. A similar western uh, Washington legend is Nisqually tribe's Tsiatko, which are described as gigantic and hairy with 18-inch long feet. In the interior of British Columbia, the Casca Indians told stories of men with coarse, thick hair, according to ethnographer James Tite writing in 1917 in the Journal of American Folklore. Among the Casca, another anthropologist, John Huntington, was mentioned by this information in the first half of the 1900s. So to skip ahead here, Agent J.W. Burns discovered in 38 just how real Bigfoot was to the Indians during the May 23rd celebration of a festival known as Indian Sasquatch Days at Harrison Hot Springs, British Columbia, having obtained special permission from the Department of Indian Affairs at Ontario, Burns writes in the Wild World magazine. He took several hundred of his charges to the event. Unfortunately, in the opening speech over the radio, a very prominent official of the British Columbia government made a bad slip, thus offending all the Indians present who understood English. After a few preliminary remarks, this personage went on, quote, Of course the Sasquatch are merely legendary Indian monsters. No white man has ever seen one. They do not exist today, in fact. Thereupon, continues Burns, his voice was drowned 
by a great rustling of buckskin garments and the tinkling of ornamental bells as, in response to an indignant gesture from old Chief Flying Eagle, more than 2,000 red men rose to their feet in angry protest. Chief Flying Eagle then socked across to the open space where the speaker stood, surrounded by important dignitaries and others, absolutely ignoring the entire group. Chief Flying Eagle turned to the microphone and thundered in excellent English, quote, The white speaker is wrong. To all who now hear I say, some white men have seen Sasquatch. Many Indians have seen them and spoken to them. Sasquatch are still all around here. I have spoken. Chief Flying Eagle told him off. I'm sticking with the First Nations, dude. Right on. Definitely sticking with him. He knows what's going on. But you know what, Duke? What's funny about it is that debate still goes on today. It's ridiculous. That's hilarious. You know? I mean, I don't know what more that we could all do as a society to try and 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 one up anybody but i mean people are going to have their their own beautiful beliefs on what this creature is i mean we can't even agree on what it is to be honest well yeah i mean there's still debate about it but that's mainly from the quarter that hasn't looked at all the evidence and doesn't realize what what they're looking at you know things like the catchem dna study that's already sequenced the genome we know they're hybrids you know, there's a bunch of basic information on that. We know that they're real. Other countries have already declared them real. There are Russia, France, Germany, China. Um, it's just the, uh, it's basically the, uh, everybody wants to have everything verified by some higher source that's going to tell them that it's real before they, they can admit that it's real, um, which is really kind of dumb if you think about what's this higher source that you're getting this information from. Scientists, they're running an agenda. Whoever pays their paycheck tells them what to investigate. And if they find something they don't like, suddenly they're unemployed. Out-of-place artifact guys run into that problem a lot. So, you know, what you're waiting for the government to tell you that they're real? Same government that covers up everything? Sure. That's some good logic there. Just follow the trail of, of the actual... Um, evidence that's there before you, and there's plenty of it. All you have to go do is just go surf around online and look it up. You can find everything that you probably would need to know about the whole thing. There's a lot of brilliant people out there that have done decades of research on Bigfoot, and they've got all of it out in between books and the Internet. It's all out there. Oh, very true. Very true, Super Duke. You know, the idea, though, that we are still looking for some sort of answer regarding this, I mean, how do how do we push forward? How do we maintain the momentum of this being real? Well, don't wait around for somebody else to do it for you. Uh, Grover Krantz, Dr. Grover Krantz, and uh, John Bendernagel both kind of had the idea that citizen scientists are kind of the way to go because, uh, you know, mainstream science isn't going to get funded to do anything like this. It's the only way anything's going to happen is if just regular people want to spend their own time and money going out there and doing things in a methodical scientific way, gathering the evidence and just piling it up. And that's the only way anything's going to get found out or anything's going to happen because we can count on the powers that be to be absolutely worthless as usual and not do anything but get in the way. 
There you have it. That's Super Duke right there. What do you got coming up, Super Duke? We got three minutes to go. Well, I'm really excited about this weekend's show because it's the second part of uh, of two part Glag Apocrypha three with D Lady in the Wood Sims on, and we get to talk about the first time that Kevin Lang ever uh, found out <laughs> that Glag had a grandma, and then actually ran into Glag's grandma, and that was quite eye opening for him. So. I'm sure you guys will enjoy this upcoming episode. I'm planning two more with people that had a lot of, uh, spent a lot of time with Kevin. And one, spent a lot of time in the field with Kevin doing Bigfoot research. So that's even cooler. You not only got the guy that spent, you know, five years with a Bigfoot for his best friend, but you got him much later in life with another Bigfoot researcher on the other side of the country running around live streaming all the time. And they were getting stuff on video. They were going out there in the middle of the night. That was like super dangerous. But yeah, they're getting stuff on video. Do you prefer going out at night or during the day? I don't go out at night. Uh-uh. I just think it's dangerous and foolish. And why? I mean, you can't really film anything. Unless you got like super high tech infrared gear or some kind of blah blah blah, you know. And if you got that kind of stuff, you're toting around. They're gonna stay away from you usually. Um, I just use the passive, respectful approach, which is don't press them, don't force the issue, don't be bothersome. They own the night. They get to run around at night. We own the day. They know that. <laughs> we can wander around during the day if they want to get close and take chances and possibly get a, a caught on camera. That's their problem. But at night, no. Everything is in their advantage. They've already got all the advantage during the day. At night, it's ridiculously in their advantage. Why give them all the extra edge? We need every bit we can get. Yeah, but at night, they sneak up closer to you. Yeah, that's why you don't have to go out in the woods. You just sit at your campsite, and they'll come right up to the campsite. Especially if you strategically plan your campsite to be the worst defensible spot you could possibly find. If you're a military person, you take one look at it and go, you're insane. No one would camp there. Perfect. <laughs> Want the Bigfoot to be able to sneak up from every side, feel totally safe doing it. We haven't got a chance. That's exactly the kind of campsite you want. <laughs> then they feel really safe to sneak up really close because they got escape routes in every direction. Well, you know what? Uh, we got 30 seconds left, Duke. Tell everybody where they can find World Bigfoot Radio. Well, you can find me over, of course, on YouTube. You can also find me on BitChute Odyssey and Rumble. You can find my support groups on Facebook, which is World Bigfoot Radio, and the main one, Montana Bigfoot Project, which has quite a few thousand members on it. And you can find my much smaller, but I'm on it constantly, group over on the MeWe social media platform, which does not censor anything. World Bigfoot Central. Come on over, visit, get the latest updates. Love it, man. It's always a pleasure to have you on, Duke. We will talk to you next week. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller. Actually, we already had swamp dweller. It's Dave time. Dave 101. I'm confused tonight. Yeah, I'll figure it out when we come back on Space Radio. Right Oh, my gosh. You damn kids get off my lawn time with Dave Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing it, and therefore this exhausted idiot is getting off computer B and going back to computer A so I can watch it.
All right. I love the new stu- setup there, buddy. Yeah, I still got to tweak it a little bit more. The light is wrong and the placement's a little bit off, but it's getting closer. You can actually see the Bigfoot in the background now, too. Good. Good. <laughs> right on. All right, well, let me dramatically raise the microphone like Jimmy Church. Oh, I'm all done. All right, buddy. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We are uh, hanging on out. Hanging on out. Hanging on out. Say we can dance when we want to. Could leave your friends behind. Because if your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. Oh, come on. I know y'all want to sing that. On a triple fly out when they're on your computer screen, move the mouse to where they're standing. They can't handle it. It's true. What do we got going on in the chat room? Raul Lottie has a beautiful mustache. I hope she brings that mustache to Las Vegas.
No, one minute, guys. third we're heading for home tonight on spaced out radio thank you so much for joining us my name is dave scott very much appreciated in your listening ears I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old davy the favor hit that subscribe button our website is spaced out we have a plethora of features for you Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where I yell at everybody to get off my lawn as it's time for Dave 101. Tonight we're going into the UFO world, and there is a lot of controversy that is going on right now regarding Oak Shannon, the Wilson Files, confirming, not confirming, what is happening to ufology. Much like a natural disaster, we see people running into it, and we see people running out. And I'm saying this because... I'm one of the ones, just like all of you, who are running right into that burning building to see what is causing the latest fires. The latest fires are this. One of the issues that, over the last five years since the inception of the To The Stars Academy and its failure, is that they introduced an entire new crop to ufology. The majority of them over time, have learned to respect and get to know a lot of the veterans who've been covering this subject for the last 40, 50-plus years. And that's a good thing, all right? 
At first, the Young Guns had a lot of attitude. Young Guns being the group name of people whose names just kept on popping in to ufology. Yeah. I think of Joe Mergia, Danny Silva, James Iandoli, Christopher Wolford, to name a few. And over time, those young guys who were using social media as their way to get the messages out like had never been done before, well, they started morphing and understanding the older dudes who had been here for centuries. And I mean that facetiously. However, there is a number of young crop out there looking to make their names in ufology, and they don't care whose toes they step on. But one thing that I have always learned is this. You learn from your elders. You learn to keep your mouth shut and never make things about you. You don't steal stories. You don't steal information. You don't try to make yourself bigger and better than what you are. Why? Because it will always come crashing down around you. This is why, on this show, we have always tried to have the newcomers, along with that old guard, the UFO boomers, if we could call them that, if that's politically correct, I don't know if it is, who've been here, done that, seen the games played, and try and sit back, relax, and enjoy what they have accomplished. This is why I love Grant Cameron, Canadian researcher out of Winnipeg, who was just on the show earlier this week, bringing home what he knew about Oak Shannon and the Wilson documents. Now, the one thing that we have in ufology is a timeline with a lot of these older researchers. And when they're gone, they are gone. I think of Stanton Friedman. Wouldn't he love to see what's going on today at near 90 years old? Okay. Wouldn't he love to be in the middle of all of this, debating on Twitter or at conferences, not just about Bob Lazar anymore, but about other stories that are going on? It would be legendary. Jim Mars is another one who's long past. And we have to look at people like Grant Cameron, like Linda Moulton Howe, and many others. Richard Dolan could be put in that category. Tom Whitmore, Melinda Leslie, Lorian Fenton, and many others who have dedicated their lives to UFOs. Many have remained single because their research is important to them, that they didn't want to have to split it up with a spouse. Many of them have traveled the world talking about this subject, trying to get to the bottom of it for people, not people who are tied to the government, but for the people who are out there. And when I see some of these younger ufologists come out and try and step on the toes of these researchers who have cut their teeth, been there, done that, and have successfully 
made a name for themselves over decades as trustworthy research. It bugs me. It makes me want to go back to my hockey days where you grab that little puke on the ice and you say, do it again, there's going to be trouble. You can't do that in today's society, though, because it's not the right thing to do. It really isn't. You want to, you think about it, but you just don't do anything about it because nobody likes that person anymore. However, when you are trying to make a spectacle of yourself, rather than trying to do what's best for ufology, this is where ego, clicks, clickbait, subscribers, followers, all come into play. A lot of the newcomers in ufology, they don't care about the Grant Camerons or Linda Moulton Howes of the world. What they care about is, how many people are following them on TikTok? How many people are following them on YouTube? How many people are following them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? That's what it seems to be. And they will step on anybody's toes in order to get those numbers up. This is why that middle guard, which I am a part of, which Nicole Sackage is a part of, which Jimmy Church would be a part of, which there are a number of researchers that would fall into that middle age category. That is why we are not saying anything too much. We're following the information, seeing where it goes, seeing who we can trust, who we don't trust. We do things behind the scenes. We don't want to do things on Twitter. We don't want Twitter wars with John Greenwald or UFO Joe and his Velcro-like hair. We don't want that. We want to talk privately. We want to make sure that our information is good. We want to find out the factions and the quests that are going on for this true cover-up. Yes, we want followers. Yes, we want people to listen to us. But that is a byproduct of what we call hard work. We're not trying to steal people. We're not trying to steal listeners or followers or begging for people for donations to help my research. No. We are going for it straight for the jugular of information. That's what we want. That's what we're trying to get to. And for the most part, some of us, like Nicole Sackage, is succeeding. Ufology is ugly right now. We don't know what the truth is. There are so many storylines, bylines, and byproducts of it all that it is scary to try and figure out what is real, what is fake. It is scary to learn who you can trust, to whom you can talk to. Why? Because, believe it or not, the tinfoil hat people do have it right. There is a lot of infiltration in this field right now. We've seen it ourselves. We've seen good people quit because of harassment. We've seen bad people quit because of harassment. People who just won't take it anymore. And people who are strong, who are willing to fight that battle with their own ammunition of words, documents, and FOIA requests. 
So how do we get together? Right now, I don't think we can. And it sucks. It really does. Why? Because we don't know where the truth is coming from. We don't. Do you believe Lou Elizondo? Well, he hasn't been very forthright about his job at Space Force. So how can you talk about disclosure on one side of your mouth and then work for Space Force, basically running their UFO division, on the other side? What about Travis Taylor from Skinwalker Ranch? He's part of Space Force, too. And he didn't even tell his boss, Brandon Fugel, until he needed to. There's a lot of people out there who are wanting to push their opinions, their threat narratives, and their idealisms on what is happening. The only thing that we do know for sure, the only people that we can trust are the experiencers. The eyewitness accounts of people and what they are having happen to them. Why? Because they have no vested interest in the game except trying to figure out what is happening to them. They don't care about the politics. They don't care about breaking stories. They don't care about hiding information from others so that way they can make the big splash. No, it's not about unity or people trying to get one over on a community, especially the veterans. No, the experiencer just wants to know what's happening to them and to others like them who are having the same consequences of what's going on. They don't want the politics. They don't want the name-calling. They don't want anything. They want to know why they're waking up in the middle of the night to their child screaming, saying, I just had a nightmare about these big monsters with big black eyes. They want to know why they're being taken out of bed one, two, three, four times a week. They want to know that no, why, no matter how much they move and try to get away, it doesn't make a difference. They want to know what a good night's sleep is like. They want to know what it's like to not worry the minute the lights go out. They want to know that they are secure in their own homes. That's what people want. It isn't about the technology. It isn't about the government cover-ups, the spies. It's not about crash retrievals or any type of BS like that. To the experiencer... That's all secondary. Sure, we want to know, but does it really help our cases? Probably not. And that's where ufology has to take a step back and really refocus itself on what is the importance of what we're doing. Is it about President Biden or whoever's next standing in front of a podium on the White House lawn saying, my fellow Americans, we are not alone in this universe? Is it about any other politician standing up and saying this? No, it's not. That's all ego. That's all conjecture. That is all political. Grassroots ufology 
is about people who are having experiences, whether it's that one and only time they see lights in the sky and know it's not Starlink or the International Space Station, or maybe it's something that is happening that's a little bit more nefarious, like being abducted or taken. The government already knows these incidents are happening. They already have people studying the cases. Those people who are studying the cases are even tied to government alphabet agencies, the scientists who are looking into it. Hey, don't think for a second that Gary Nolan or Jacques Vallée do not have their own agendas towards trying to figure out the UFO issue and where these things are coming from. They do. What we have to do as the experiencers and the people who just want to know the truth is focus on what we can control. And that is listen to the stories. Listen to the experiences people are having. Put some trust and faith in that. Most of them, I would say over 95%, don't want the 15 minutes of fame. They just want a good night's sleep. And that's where we need to focus. Because the rest of it is just political BS. And that's your Dave 101 for tonight. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can check and leave it on our YouTube page right under this show or the Dave 101. And I would love to read what you think. So make sure you do that for me if you don't mind. Let's get to Shirky Poo's news. What time is it? It's time for Shirky Poo's news. All right, let's go to a Utah woman. It was stunned to find out a judge ordered her to give her ex-husband a photo album that included nude photos. Lindsay Marsh said the boudoir-style photos were done early in her marriage. They included loving and intimate messages to her former husband. Marsh was surprised when her ex, Chris Marsh, uh, requested the album when she filed for divorce in April 2021 after 25 years of marriage. It's violating, and it's incredibly embarrassing and humiliating, she said. The only way I can hopefully protect someone else from going through the same situation is to tell my story and expose that these are the types of things that he thinks are okay. Judge Michael Edwards sided with Chris Marsh. There was a caveat that Marsh should go back to the photographer and edit the body of Lindsay Marsh. The judge then ruled in August this year that Marsh must hand the album to a third party who would edit the images. That person is to do whatever it takes to modify the pages of the pictures uh, of the pictures so that any photographs of Lindsay, his ex-wife, in lingerie or that sort of thing, even without clothing, are obscured and taken out. I don't even know why the husband would want these. That's a little bit weird. This is your ex-wife. But for the ex-wife to say that, you know what? This is perverse, embarrassing, humiliating. You took those photos for him. You were in love with him for 25 years before you decided to pull the plug. All right? Don't make it like sound like it's so yucky. It's not yucky. You did it because you wanted to make him and yourself happy. And good for you for doing it. All right, moving on. A Michigan man pleaded guilty to murdering, dismembering, and eating the body parts of a victim he met on a dating app. Mark David Latunsky 
of Michigan told a court that he met 25-year-old student Kevin Bacon on Grinder, a hookup app for gay, bisexual, and transgender men. He lured him to his home where he brutally killed him. Latunsky admitted to stabbing the victim in the back, hanging Bacon's body from his ankles, and I'm not even going to mention the other parts. That's just too creepy. He took the parts of the victim, including his testicles, to the kitchen where he ate them, cannibalized the dude. Bacon, who was reported missing on Christmas Eve 2019, uh, his family or his body was found four days later. Kevin was a good kid, didn't deserve what he got, Bacon's father Carl told the outlet, adding he was relieved the family won't have to relive his son's grisly murder in court. I don't understand these people. I mean, that's horrific. That poor family. Poor, poor family. I hope this guy gets what's coming to him. All right, let's continue on. High on the list of what not to do at the border is to ask the customs officers for drugs. A Michigan man allegedly did just that when trying to cross the Canadian border, asking a customs agent for marijuana back in May 2020. Kyle Schultz said he had some marijuana and asked to buy more. Ontario Court Justice John Condon heard the case during a virtual hearing. The 33-year-old Schultz admitted he was impaired during the conversation, and the officer made note that he was unstable on his feet and had glassy eyes and dilated pupils. The report added Schultz from Muskegon was taken to Sault Ste. Marie Police Service Building, and a urine test was returned, testing positive for cannabis. He pleaded guilty to impaired driving. The Crown and defense lawyer, Ken Walker, jointly called for a $1,000 monetary penalty and a year-long driving prohibition. Queen Elizabeth II's recent death forced the cancellation of Guinea Pig Awareness Week. In recognition of Her Majesty's funeral, we are postponing Guinea Pig Week Awareness, organizers proclaim. The good news is Guinea Pig, Pig, uh, Guinea Pig Awareness Week will now pl- take place from the 26th to 30th of December. Yeah, the week consists of activities dedicated to improving the health and welfare of guinea pigs. Okay. And finally, there's a weird one happening in Washington State's Olympic National Park. The wild goats, about 700 of the mountain goats in the park, have taken a liking to sniffing out and then drinking human urine left behind by hikers. The report said that it's hard to implement fertility control on the goats because they are hard to corral. But, yep, even though they're not making the babies, they're loving the human pee. Yeah. I don't know where to go with that. But this, we got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up. For the guitar god himself, special thanks to everybody listening in, at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Spreaker, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyrighted by Space Down Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us, because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night, Mister Bumblefoot. 
we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the woo train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.